This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to a Tuesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by Emily Giambalvo that I said extremely slow just to ensure that I said it correctly of the Washington Post. She covers Maryland for the Post. Emily, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. How did I do? You you were good. Um, oh, you no. did a little bit there of a Balbo instead of a Balbo. Oh, no. no, but that's that's still perfect in my book. Um. Man, I was so excited. I thought no, it was great, no, no, no. and I was you're so great. fired up, and I was like, you know what? Sorry, I'm going to put a little bit of confidence behind this because we talked about it before. Yeah, Balbo, from- ball like a like a football. There you go. Tie it in Gian because you yeah. know what we're talking about tonight, <laughs> Emily, is football. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, you know. Okay, so we're obviously going to be talking about Little you Tua, and yeah. we're going to get to him in a second, but we are recording this on May 19th, 2020. What is the current state of affairs at the University of Maryland? What is their current operations? What is their plan for the fall for students? What is what is going on at Maryland that's different maybe than the rest of the country right now? Um, well, I think just 
terms of number of cases and the death toll, I do feel like Maryland, D.C. area um, is not doing great. Like we still have a pretty high number um, of cases and, and things of that nature. And it also kind of seems like the state governments around here are erring a little more on the side of caution um, than I, I was down in South Carolina the last two weeks. And, and it seemed very different there um, than up here. So so I think we are moving pretty slow. Um, and then, you know, as a school, I think Maryland just continues to fall in line with whatever the Big Ten is saying. Um, and there are obviously no organized team activities, just like everywhere else. Um, but there also hasn't been a huge push for that, like, July 1st start date up here, like I've seen from the SEC, for instance. So so I think maybe moving a little slower. Um, the hope is, of course, that there can be football. But I, I'm a little concerned that maybe there wouldn't be fans um, I don't know. I haven't heard much, but I think they're planning for all scenarios. As for fall class, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, a majority online or, or something like that, just to not have dozens of students in a room at the same time. So that, that's kind of where we are. I think these, this next month is critical to see um, how much better it can get up here. And that will be when those critical decisions start being made. So it's the, they're operating from a different timeline than the SEC is what you're gathering. And the Pac-12 is just altogether different with California. But um, there's not a harsh June 1st or June 15th deadline to decide what we're doing, you're saying, with the Big Ten in Maryland. Yeah, I, I haven't really heard a lot on, like, a date. Like, I felt like I kept hearing June 1st for SEC, hoping, right. like, athletes can come back. Um, I think – Coaches are optimistic that they can get athletes back on campus this summer. Um, but I, I don't know if that's happening in 10 days. I, I, I think I haven't heard much from the Big Ten. I think like this week is when maybe we start to see this week, next week, we'll start to see like some new guidance from the Big Ten on whether organized team activities can you know, or, or athletes being allowed in the weight room with proper sanitation and, and everything like that. Um, so, so I think we'll know soon, and then Maryland will probably just stick to, or we'll have to stick to whatever um, the Big Ten advises that schools do. Interesting. What makes a lot of sense is what South Carolina and what I forget who else agreed to this of just starting school early this year and then getting out like after November, no fall break, and then just going to all online once the the weather changes. That seems like the smartest route, and I wonder if that the Big Ten being. Uh, a cold weather area. I wonder if they they follow suit or maybe even earlier. It seems like they are a natural um, extension of those guidelines, it seems like. Yeah, and I I do think things are moving a little more in the direction of online classes up here. You know, nothing has been announced firm, but but I have seen some students at the school, you know, start to post tweets with um, like, hey, this class you're in has been moved over to online and and just in hearing some things that I do think – they're preparing for that um, a bit more intensely than it sounds like some of the schools down south they're doing. And maybe that's just because I'm not as in the loop on like what they're preparing for, because it, it obviously hasn't been announced. Um, so, so my guess would be things move a little slower in terms of getting just average students back on campus um, here. That makes sense. 
Well, let's talk about Little Tua. Little Tua. I, I, I love that name. I love him, <laughs> but, but it's like it runs so counter to everything I'm sure he wants. But but I do love the sound of Little Tua. That's honestly the reason that I've coined him Little Tua because it's a fun thing to say out loud. I <laughs> I understand it's not your name, and I'm an older brother. Uh, so mm-hmm. I very much appreciate being able to call my little brother, little chase, if I can do that ever in my life. Um, there's something <laughs> nice. Of, there's a nice ring to just having a little version of yourself. There's like the mini me aspect of it, but yeah, little Tua, um, who's also smaller than Tua Tungavaiola. So that, mm-hmm. that helps. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know what? <laughs> this all works and sorry, little Tua and Emily, you have my permission the first time you interact with him to address him as little to it just to see what kind of face he makes oh, because boy. <laughs> his family shows no emotion i don't know if you watch the nfl draft but they did not react when Tua got drafted by the dolphins they did nothing like a lot of other families were doing stuff but like he and that family very calm very collected not a lot of emotion i wonder and it seems like by all accounts Tua is like the nicest human being in the world I bet you little two is the nicest human being in the world and he'll probably roll with it. He'll think it's funny. I, I think it will work out is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but in terms of how Maryland got him, because what we heard throughout the course of the last couple of weeks was that be- they were waiting to see where Tua got drafted because that family is so close that he would transfer wherever Tua wound up. So like the university of Miami was just like, just sitting there like he's gonna be the guy after Derek King in Miami and that that makes a lot of sense and then he just goes to Maryland um how much of a shock was that for this coaching staff and were you aware of any kind of real interest between um Tung Viola and Maryland yeah I think it's I think it's interesting because I I once I started reading some reporting that that was talking about the South Florida interest, I was like, okay, that that makes total sense. Just from reading the story, all the stories that were written on Tua last year, you, you really did get that sense that okay, like this is the family. And they moved to Alabama to follow Tua, so so it seems like that seemed natural. Um, but but I think the interest from Maryland was was always going to be there um, because like this is someone. Loxley was involved in the recruiting of when he was at Alabama. So obviously there was something there relationship wise and just, you know, seeing him as a college quarterback. So, so I think it it makes a lot of sense. And, and we've seen that before with, with players who had a past relationship with Loxley, um, not necessarily from Alabama, but from the recruiting process have, have transferred in and, and things like that. So I think, you know, as much as we want to, I was inclined to think, oh, of course, he'll go South Florida near Miami. I think it's almost if he was going to go anywhere else, Maryland seemed like a natural choice because maybe you're not near your family or near your brother, but you are with this person who who is very familiar. And that seems to carry a lot of weight with Loxley, just in probably as a result of solid relationship building skills is something he's always praised for. So I know athletes frequently want to transfer or gravitate toward the coaches. Maybe they have some existing tie to, but it seems like that's even upped a bit with Loxley. So I think it, it makes sense. And obviously Loxley was um, the offensive coordinator during one of Tua's great years at Alabama. So I think there's a level of trust there with, okay, he, he was able to help orchestrate, 
this success for his brother and, and the family and uh, to, to Leah it, it has a level of trust with what Loxley can do as a coach. So, so I think it makes sense, but I, I was a little surprised um, because I, for a few, you know, for those first few days and I saw the South Florida thing, I thought that seemed like a natural destination also. So you mentioned that Loxley seems to have these kids gravitate towards him on the transfer transfer market. What about Loxley is different and being able to, um, sell these kids on becoming a Maryland Terrapin. Yeah, I think that's, it's so interesting because it's one of those things that gets labeled. It's just like, Oh, he's great recruiter, great relationships. Um, But that's like so surface level and it's really hard to get down into the details, like why this is. And um, I felt like last year when I, when I really started to kind of ask people he grew up with or who people who know him well, it, it seemed like, the thing that he kept coming back to and others around him kept coming back to was like, he really truly understands what it's like um, for a lot of these kids. And I actually went back just the other day and we, when I was thinking about his ability to recruit and was looking at the story I wrote um, before the first game last year. And he was saying, it's like almost like deja vu sometimes when he like walks into a recruit's house and it's like single mom, like trying to make it home in time for the meeting. And obviously it's not the case with Talia, but, but it's like, I think that is what makes him a great recruiter is, is that he really understands um, these kids' lives and, and, and what college football can, can do for them. And I think, I think the, the biggest thing is that he really truly believes Maryland football being the head coach of Maryland football is the greatest job. Um, and I don't know how many people out there could say that. So, so I think they're, is a authenticity of his recruiting pitch that comes across. And, and, you know, Maryland football is is not among the power five programs that, you know, you look at and saying like, Oh, powerhouse football program. But I really think he believes it can be better. It can be a good program. So I think that helps when he's selling it. That's kind of my best hypothesis, the tie between like really understanding the players and then also just like a genuine belief um, in the program and, and trying to convince transfers and high schoolers that like Maryland can be good and like come be part of turning this program around. So what's crazy about Maryland last year, um, they, they go three and nine, they get off to this great start. They're just scoring 70 points against some no name schools, but then the, the wheels really, really fall off and it gets ugly really fast. They average like 12.5 points a game down the stretch. Um, their quarterback at the time is already transferred to Western Kentucky. They have Josh Jackson, the former Virginia Tech Hokie. Do you think this is going to be a true competition between Jackson and Tungaviola from the start? Or are they giving Jackson this fall why Tungaviola learns Loxley's system and gets a chance to get um, oriented to the, the campus, the situation there? Or is this like a real open type deal? Because this offense can't sputter like they did last year for a 12 game season again. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, it always feels like Maryland's a quarterback away. Or, I mean, I shouldn't say always, I've been on beat two years, but it's like maybe not a quarterback away from winning a national title or a big 10 title, but a quarterback away from being competitive and, and certainly winning a few more games. And, and last year it, it just, it just wasn't working. You know, Josh Jackson just like, wasn't quite the quarterback um, they were hoping he would be, um, and, and Josh Jackson had such a great season, his first year playing at Virginia Tech, and, and so I think maybe there was a little surprise not to see him get back to that. He had come back from an injury, 
But I, I think it will be open. That said, I, I always have the sense that, like, quarterback doesn't usually transfer unless he has some sense of confidence that he can win the job. Um, you know, whether that's based on what coaching staffs have informed him or or what he believes. So so I think Talia ha- has a good shot. But, but the name you didn't mention is, is this rising freshman our redshirt freshman, Lance Lejean, and I really liked him. He only played in three games last year because they were trying to preserve the redshirt. Um, I kind of thought he would he's, – he's like a very much a dual-threat guy. He's a guy Loxley recruited when he got the job and he was able to sign him um, after he came to Maryland. And I think, you know, Loxley sees him as having real potential too and someone who could, you know, be around the next three, four years. So I think, you know, all three of them, and of course Josh Josh has the advantage of of playing in the system, but maybe not playing very well. But then I think those other two are very talented. And um, I, I'm personally somewhat interested to see what Lance Lejean does just um, as we approach the fall. But I, I think Tui is very, very much in the mix. And I don't think uh, Loxley would have recruited him to Maryland without thinking he had a, a very real chance to be the starter. It's going to be interesting. It's one of my favorite storylines because it could get awkward very quickly uh this fall because yes. <laughs> also maryland's had like 16 quarterbacks um over the last like 10 years they just they go through all of yeah. them so quickly and I, fans just like want somebody to be there for like three years they just want someone to latch on to no it's, it's actually remarkable um this like, I, I started making a spreadsheet of every person that's played quarterback um in the last 10 12, you 15 have years and it's like I, I do because I was, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a story and maybe it's not a story that happens until August. Um, Cause it's like, I don't know when, when's the best time for it. Um, but, but in the, like, the, the list, quick version of that before we're off this is, podcast, we've got to get the list. It, it's, it's so long. And what's scary is like a lot of them like have transferred out. There have been way, way too many ACL tears for anyone's liking. Um, it's actually kind of, kind of terrifying and I remember this is getting a little off track but on Josh Jackson's first like media availability in August last year someone was like oh are you aware of like the the quarterback injury history here and he's like yeah they don't they don't put that on the recruiting pamphlet and it was like this very funny moment um and 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 he was just like yeah I'm not superstitious I'm not worried and and then of course he ended up hurting his ankle and it wasn't serious like he only missed um he didn't start three games. So, so it wasn't like an, a torn ACL, but it was like, oh my gosh. And now he's hurt too. But the, the short version of the insane quarterback history is, I believe in the last 10 years, there's only been one season where the same quarterback starts every game. So one out of 10, and then only five seasons where a quarterback starts at least 10 games. So it's like, you compare that to where you think of a school that has a starter for two, three maybe four seasons and it's just it it it's so much what Maryland wants they just want a guy who can come in and be the guy and not get hurt and they don't need him to go win a Heisman like they they just need him to be reliable and come start every game and you know what you're going to get from the offense you know what you're going to get from the quarterback and I think that's what this program has been searching for for so so long and just hasn't been able to get in the last two years you've been there what would you say Mike Loxley has done the best? Because a lot of people were concerned about, it wasn't really just the recruiting, because I think most people probably assume that he would recruit pretty well um, in the DC area and that it was a natural fit and all that kind of stuff and having the Alabama background. But his previous head coaching jobs did not go well. 
and there was just like okay can he put it together can he um figure it out on a big scale where he's in a tough conference where it's there's a lot of high-end talent and a lot of Rutgers type talent and can he get out of there and uh I, I it's interesting like I could see it going two different ways I could see it just being a really great hit and he just I mean we'll talk about the recruiting for 2021 in a second but in your estimation what is the best thing that he's done that Maryland fans should feel good about since he's uh come on campus um I really think it is the recruiting talented players and, and it's like it's one of those things that is going to take a few years to start seeing. And you start talking about like this day and age, like how many years does the coach get? Like how many three win seasons does the coach get? Um, I, I don't know. Um, but, but when you look at Rakim Jarrett, the five-star receiver who decided to come to Maryland will be a freshman next year. And then, you know, maybe Talia works out as a quarterback. Like you're starting to see the pieces come together of the talent that, Maryland is going to need to to be competitive um, in the Big Ten, which is always going to be hard. I mean, it's always it's like for Maryland to be bowl eligible, it, it's always going to be really difficult when you're playing Michigan, Ohio State every year, and then you know some other good teams sprinkled in there. Uh, Penn State is always good, but but it's like I think they're starting to get the talent that you need, but it's like sometimes it's been there before. Like they've had good players before, um, but. So it does, like, at the end of the day, come down to coaching, I think. And, and I think that's what we're going to see, like, in this next season, the next year. Okay, now Loxley has his guys. He, he's starting to get, you know, every – all the scholarship quarterbacks are now players that Loxley has recruited to Maryland. So two transfers and then Lance Lejean. Um, So it's like, okay, now this is for real. Let's see what you can do. So I think he's done a good job of that. And then I think just, like, overall excitement in the program is is better. Um you know, Maryland's in a really tough, um, self-inflicted spot by what happened with Jordan McNair dying. Um, and it was just like the program was in the national news for, for all the wrong reasons. And a kid dies and the medical staff is negligent. And, and like all these things that, that went wrong, I think the program really needed to get this hire right and get someone that like the community could get behind and trust. And I do think Loxley being from the area, a lot of people knew him. He had obviously worked at Maryland before. I think people are really on board with him and are willing to give him time and, and let him get some players in there. So, so I think like that would probably be my number two thing. It, it's a little more conceptual, but, but like, I think he's really tried to make Maryland relevant, but I'm, I'm not sure if Maryland has another three win season, like, I don't, I don't know how long that excitement lasts. Cause it, it kind of fell off a cliff last year too, when they started getting blown out. Um, but, but I do think he's done a good job in that. So they're currently 14th in 247 sports recruiting rankings for 2021. Do you think they have room to climb into the top 10? Is this, um, who do you see right now that you're like, Oh, this could be a real thing. And they could actually get into that group because, if they can, I mean, that if they can get a three-year run of just crazy recruiting, you never know. Like, they can move into that top end yeah. of the Big Ten. So, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, if I had to, like, make a guess, I would say they wouldn't get into the top ten. But maybe they can stay around this, like, 10 to 20 um, stratosphere. And I think that would be a huge success for Maryland. And I know there's been lots of good reporting out there about, like, if you're going to be competitive – 
you have to have a certain amount of talent. Like it's just like really hard to do or almost impossible to do without, um, you know, a certain level of high schoolers coming to your program. And, and I think, you know, the thing Loxley's selling and the program's trying to sell is this whole, like, come play for Maryland, like come stay in this area. And, you know, there aren't tons of major power five programs around here, like Penn State. So they're close to one, but that's still four hours away. And then like Virginia is a bit away, but it's like, you don't have a lot of competition. Like you do say like Georgia, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Auburn, you know, that whole region or other regions of the country, but you do have such a great um, talent pool of DC DMV type high schoolers. So I think like Loxley, if he can really get people to buy into this idea of like, let's stay in the state, let's like rep DC. Like I think the DC area has a little bit of like, there's like pride to it of like, I'm from here. And I think if people want to like stay home in Maryland, he's kind of trying to claim like the whole DMV um, they're good enough kids in this area to keep Maryland in that top 15. And, and the thing that really stuck out to me was on signing day when Loxley was talking about with Kim Jarrett, the receiver, um, who was kind of like a surprise commit on that day. Um, he was saying like, it, it signals to every other recruit, like, Hey, I'm a five-star kid. And like, I think Maryland is the school where I can, you know, achieve what I want. And what, you know, it's like, once you start getting a couple, I think the dominoes start to fall. So, so it seems like he's kind of already done that with, the 2021 class that, that really has some solid players in it, good players. Um, so it, I think if he can kind of keep that up, then then Maryland very much has the ability to to be in that top 15 range. They have two new offensive coordinators, Scotty Montgomery, Joker Phillips, Kentucky coaching legend Joker Phillips. Um, what do you know about these two and what changes they'll be making to this offense? Yeah, so so they're both there last year. The the staff like hasn't hasn't changed much, um, particularly on the offensive side. It, it's shuffled a little bit defensively, but offense is is the same. Um, and it it's very much like I, Loxley would get mad at me saying, but it's like very much Loxley's system. Mm-hmm. Um, he he, Scotty Montgomery calls plays, um, but it always has kind of felt like. Loxley had the vision that what he wanted to run at Maryland. Um, and every time he's explaining it to us, he's just like, it's Alabama's offense. And we're always like, yeah, but there's no Tua. There's no, none of these great receivers. So um, what are you going to do? But, but he is and was, and still continues to try to implement what he did at Alabama. So pretty like RPO heavy and lots of explosive plays, which Maryland has, I was good at even before he got here. Um, but but a lot of stuff that does involve the need for a good quarterback, which I think, you know, every every offense needs. Um, but it seemed like the system worked well. And, and I think you kind of saw that in those first two games, even if it was against somewhat, uh, you know, not, not the best Townsend. teams. And Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it was like Syracuse at the time was ranked. So, so it's like I, I do kind of feel bad for Maryland fans because I don't think anybody realized like how bad Syracuse was last year and then Maryland comes and like blows them out and it's like oh my gosh it's a new day for Maryland football and they they go on to win one more game um but I think like when Josh Jackson like wasn't under a lot of pressure when their the defenses weren't that great he was going up against you did kind of see like you know 
way more of a passing offense than than we saw the year before and and there are really talented receivers on the roster even before you know we get this class coming in um and and I think that's that's what he wants to do and and it's like again it just feels like all they're missing is a reliable accurate um solid quarterback that you can really trust trust to pass the ball and and I think that's that's what Maryland is hoping hoping they'll get final two questions for you what would you say is the biggest question mark on offense and the biggest question mark on defense. And then I'll, I'll uh, and then the final question, I'll just give it to you now. So you'll be able to think about both these questions. Um, when you look at the schedule, it looks just as brutal as 2019. And I, I have my doubts about Maryland getting over four or five wins. I have some significant doubts. I'm worried about the second half. Like I would have been last year. Um, both of those things are concerning. So most interesting or just biggest question mark on offense and defense. And then when you look at the schedule, does it concern you as much as it does me? Um, okay. So that's a lot. And, and I also feel like I haven't maybe even started to move my brain over to football yet. Um, can I give you I the schedule real quick? I will and our listeners, the schedule, just what this looks like right <laughs> yeah. now. Townsend at home. Northern Illinois at home, then at West Virginia, bye week, Minnesota at home, at Indiana, at Northwestern, Wisconsin at home, and then you get a nice little in-between sandwich game of Rutgers, and then it's at Michigan, Ohio State, at Penn State, Michigan State. Like, it's just, you know, it's brutal. What's funny is, like, I think that has been the November the last two years. Like, those four teams, uh, it, it, it kills Maryland. Why you know, and, and even, house? like, I don't know, but it's it's horrible. Like you look at that that month, and it is just like, you know. I remember both of the last two years looking at the schedule. You're kind of like, well, I guess I better hope they're bowl eligible by Halloween, or else it's not happening. Um, and in 2018, when it was like Matt Cannon was the interim coach, they they got to five wins, and then I think they had like four chances to try to to get the the sixth one, and they were like one play away against Ohio State. They were one bad fumble away in the final few minutes against Indiana away from winning that game. And then, and then I think I pulled it up with Penn State and I honestly can't remember the other one, but it was like, that was what it was. And then, you know, this last year was a little different, but, um, okay. So I'll go, since we're talking about the schedule, I'll go schedule first. Um, I would say a really, okay. So, so the success story is going to be if they get to six, you can go ahead and cancel that one out, Emily. I'm going to go ahead and say they're not winning six games this year. Go ahead and cancel that one out. I you know think how they're they going to win six I games is five. if some of these games are so, cut off so, the schedule. So. <laughs> oh, okay. So so I think the bar for success is six. I think the optimistic outcome would be five. And then I think maybe the more likely was four. And I think, like, last year I was saying four, and everyone was criticizing me for, like, being so pessimistic and then they go and win those first two games and everyone on the beat was like, wow, they're going to get a six, no question. And I was like all along saying four was like, I was adamant that four was the magic number. And then of course they get to three and I'm like, man, I really, you know, they really, really had them overachieving by my <laughs> estimate four. Um, so I'd maybe if I like had to get, I'd probably say like 4.5. Like I think maybe either way they go four or five um, because those first three, Towson, Northern Illinois, West Virginia. I could I could also see them losing to Northern Illinois and losing to West Virginia, you know, and it being like really disappointing. Um, 
losses. And then they do have Northwestern and Rutgers. So Northwestern's not horrible. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, now I'm just like talking myself into it. I, I'd say four or five, which is not a great answer because it's a, I'm giving myself room um, to be wrong. But I, that would be that'd be my guess. Five is like coach of the year stuff, I think, with the schedule. Really? What do you think? I mean, do you think they're below four? Do you think they're four or? I think best case scenario. You think they is could be four. three again? I, I think three is like Rutgers, Townsend, and Northern Illinois. They can win those, so I I will give them four. I think four is fair. Five is like okay. I, I just, I hate that they got Northwestern Indiana on the road because you kind of want those at home just as the gimme ones. But the fact that those two are back to back, I don't like that. Minnesota's They could be lose good. both. They yeah, could easily lose I, both. Yeah. I don't like that. And then, because like you have to get to four before the, the final four. Like that's the other thing is you know what's looming in November. So go ahead and cancel those four. Those are gone. I don't like West yeah. Virginia on the road early in the season when you're still trying to get used to whoever's going to be the quarterback. And I think West Virginia's going to be better than they were a year ago with Neil Brown. But I, yeah, I oh yeah, I like Neil Brown. And when we were just like tossing names around the coach search, he was someone who I was like, oh, that could be a cool one. But yeah, anyway, I think he's going to. So be we'll good see what how he. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't thinking Northwestern and Indiana on the road. Like maybe when, maybe you get one of those if they're at both at home. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's Sorry, fair. Maryland fans. That's fair. I think four, four or five. Yeah. I, I, they hate me. I mean, they think, they think I'm like the most pessimistic person, but I'm like, no, I'm just looking at this as an outsider who literally has no tie to this program. And I, I see it for what it is. I, I mean, maybe there's Emily. potential there one day. Leave her um, alone. She's being as but, pragmatic okay, and as so optimistic maybe, as she can. But okay, say say Talia comes in here and is a better quarterback than anything they've seen in the last few years. Say this this freshman receiver comes in here and and is great. I, I think he is talented. The, the other thing, Brown doesn't really have running backs. They like, they lost their best two, um, and they really did have good running backs. Anthony McFarland Jr. and Javon Leak are both very good and probably a little underappreciated just because they played for Maryland. Or probably certainly, I would say underappreciated um, just in the fun. national landscape. He was great, yeah, and he was really like hurt all year and didn't get to have the year I think most of us thought he was going to have. And, and hopefully, you know, they might go on to do things in the NFL. But but losing both of those guys the same year is, is kind of tough. And um, so, but but it all goes back to this whole like got to have a quarterback. You know, if if they have a quarterback, they can weather that. You know. Um, but but if all these things line up, like maybe they do have a quarterback. I I don't know. Um, yeah, what well, we can say for we can say for. It is interesting of just like what it actually changes if Little Tua becomes a star because if he's just amazing out of the gate, or Josh Jackson is just uh, is what we thought he was going to be at Virginia Tech. Like I guess that changes some stuff. But I just right. I don't like the rest of this team, and I just. I don't know. This schedule just, I don't like it. Like, I, I just don't like the it's, schedule. The problem with the schedule is that, like, it's almost like the ceiling at Maryland is eight wins, you know? Like, just yeah. because of the division. And, like, the ceiling, like, when, if a coach comes in here and really turns things around and recruits great and has great coaches on the staff, great coordinators, great everything, I mean, Right. So it's like, if that's the ceiling, you know, so much has to go right to even get to six or seven. And it's like, I think Maryland would be very happy getting to six or seven. I mean, some people are like, eight would be great. I'm like, okay, you're doing a little bit here. Yeah. But, but like, 
And I think that's the thing going back to Talia is like, he doesn't need to be Tua. Like Maryland doesn't need him to be Tua one bit. They just need him to be like a solid high school four-star quarterback, you know, like just someone to come in and, and kind of write the ship. So, so I think, you know, maybe he can do that. Like they don't, they don't need anyone to go win a Heisman. They just, they just need a quarterback who can start every game, start most of the games, run the offense, be comfortable. Um, they need a Sean Hill. And then maybe they, <laughs> I, yeah, they, they just, they, they, yeah, they, they just need something. I mean, they, they really just need a quarterback. Well, I think they have one. One of these guys are going to be the guy. I just, like you said, right. the they problem, need some programs to go on probation. To get there. That's... They need some probation <laughs> help. They need some schools to get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. That is what they really need. Loxley needs more than anything else. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, or just who or Wisconsin, which probably is not going to happen. Uh, they just need one of these top-tier programs. Penn State's probably the best example of this of just they need one of those schools to to really get into some just some difficult situations ncaa wise so maybe that's your your next focus emily is seeing what you can do for the post on digging out some (laughs) some scandals for the rest of the big 10 east that's that's what you can do that's how you can save maryland football (laughs) yeah i gosh Maybe they just need some conference realignment or something. I don't know. I mean, look um, at Minnesota. The, the division. They are, I don't, like, you could Minnesota's say only, great. And, but they're not that good. They're they're fine. Like, PJ Fleck has done a great job there, but, like, they benefited yeah. from a ridiculous schedule. Like, playing in the Big Ten West, right? it's really easy to figure that stuff out. If Maryland was in the Big Ten West, I think I'd be a lot more optimistic about it. Like, they're in the wrong division. You, you want to know it's great, though? Minnesota is Maryland's, like, permanent cross division team um they play so so it's like they didn't they don't even end up with you know insert bad big ten illinois like they don't get their illinois or whoever yeah right right or yeah yeah um instead they now have to play minnesota program that seems like it's on the right path um and in addition to their plate of michigan michigan state ohio state penn state um so yeah i guess that's a positive yeah, no, 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 no. It's definitely positive. Of course, it's at Northwestern. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, and they they had to play Iowa two years ago at Iowa, which was a really cool place. You know, the one thing I'm waiting for, I just want to cover a snow game. I'm from the south, and like mm-hmm. that's like been my goal since I got on the beat, and I haven't gotten to do it yet. So maybe like Chicago, or um, maybe we can get one this year. Interesting. That's my goal. Snow game. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, I yeah, still, I'm still like really enamored by snow. I love snow. I think it's like the coolest thing ever. And I'm sure any big time person who listens to this will think I'm ridiculous. But well, I, I'm from Atlanta too. I grew up and in and I Yeah. I like the idea of snow a lot. Like I like snow if it's in a city that can handle snow. I don't like snow in Atlanta because Atlanta doesn't know how to handle snow and it just ends up in disaster and no one can function, and the city just goes on lockdown for a couple of days. Um, yeah, not a fan yeah, of no, it that was here. that was my childhood. <laughs> yeah, um, up here it's pretty good because it's like they know how to handle it. But, right, but it, it like I was under the impression that moving to DC meant like my winters were going to be like lots of snow, and like that hasn't been the case yet. Like we've had two really pretty mild winters, but I say that, and conned. then of course like the basketball. Yeah, yeah, I know. The basketball road schedule, though, is like I'm going to Wisconsin in January and 
Iowa oh, and I'm, I'm like getting stuck <laughs> in airports and, you know, like all, all driving through blizzards and stuff. So I guess I, I don't like it in the, in that sense. I like the idea of snow when it's like, I'm just home and I get to watch it <laughs> or watch a football game in it. That, that's, that's the ultimate goal. There you go. Well, I mean, let's hope that you even get to cover Big Ten basketball this year because I don't know. Well, that's the thing is you keep asking me all these, like we're talking so much about like what I expect for next season. Like I, I literally, my brain has not gone there yet because it's like we didn't have spring practice. So like spring would have been when I normally started mm. like calibrating my brain to think yeah. about this next year's team. And it's like since since the basketball season ended, I've been doing like – covering Maryland, but then doing some more like broad national-ish college sports stories and then doing like some Olympic sports type coverage. So it's like, I really haven't even done that. Like, like you're really forcing me to like stretch my brain here, even like thinking about what the offense is going to look, like, look like next year. I know, I know. But then like the thing in the back of my mind is like, are we going to have football? Um, uh, I think we're going to have which football. Which I, I think I'm, I'm more pessimistic than most people. I, I, I just like, um, I don't know. I, I just think like maybe there are no fans. It would be like if I had to like put money on it. I'm I'm a little worried about that. Or or I could see there just being like some um, adjustment to it. Like I think they will make sure football season gets played. However, yes. that may be um, whatever it looks like. Um, I think there will be football games this this year or this season. Um, but I'm. I'm skeptical. I'm just worried. It's just so weird when you have like a team of like a hundred people as opposed to like other sports. That that's kind of the thing that makes me like if this was basketball, I maybe wouldn't be quite as worried. Um, just because it's smaller teams and you're not talking about like such a large group of people. But you know, maybe maybe this next month like things really do improve and um, we're able to get athletes back on campus and students back on campus and um everything like that starts to happen. Maybe. I, I don't know. Like everything changes week to week. I just if I had to bet, I, the other thing too, the good point about college football it, that I thought was interesting was that they can't afford to lose Saturdays for a year because the NFL has already shown interest in gobbling up those Saturdays if college football is not happening. If you lose yeah. Saturdays to the NFL, the NFL is not giving it back. <laughs> That's not how that works. Yeah. Like the NFL will have that and college football will never be the same. Like They're already losing ground in the NBA. You cannot lose Saturdays. You just can't. And I think a lot of yeah. schools understand that if they have a fall where the NFL is only on Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and college ball is nowhere to be seen. That's really, really hard to get back because guess what? The NFL is not letting you back in. That's, that's not happening. Right. You're, you're going to have to compete with them right. on Saturdays. Right now they're giving you Saturdays. They don't have to keep doing that. Yeah. They can take Saturdays. I, I just, I think college yeah. presidents and everything else are going to be like, yeah, no, we're think, figuring and, this and out. I think that's like, we we don't know like how it's going to look, but I think the thing you like hear from everyone is just like the overall importance to having it in some fashion, just to like continue the entire model of how we have a like department set up. Um, you know, it just seems like, you know, like talking to athletic directors and stuff, they're just like, you're trying to run the hypotheticals of like, what would your athletic department look like if you couldn't have football? And it's like, the answer is just like, we have to have football. Um, right. They don't want to get in that category. So, once so they I get think, there, it just gets very, very dark, very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're the ones, you know, kind of making the decision. Like, you know, I, I know the conference commissioners and the NCAA, you know, have some role, but it's like the NCAA is made up of the schools and the presidents and the, you know, so it's like, 
I, I do think that is going to matter. And, um, but again, it's like, it's just so weird to even like start thinking about it. I think, I think it's just weird for me because it's like, we didn't have the spring. The spring is like very much the soft launch to starting to think about this team and up here with Maryland, they're not like, you know, I, I don't have a ton of pressure when I'm covering the spring. I, you know, I try to write like a few good features, a few relevant stories about what the team's going to look like, but it's like, I don't cover it the way I did when I was a student at Georgia and you're like writing every day and, and things like that. Um, but the spring is like really important just for me as like a writer. And then you start to try to translate that to how important it is for the players and learn the system. And this is still like year two of a program and offense and defense and all the systems they run and players learning and incorporating young players. And, and you wonder how much like that could hurt them too. It's just not getting to have that spring. And I know everyone's on the pretty much uh, equal footing in that, but, but you do wonder if like for these coaches who are, maybe in their early years with the program, maybe it does hurt them more. And of course, you know, Maryland falls into that category. So we'll see. We shall see. Well, Emily, this has been great. Um, I, I very much appreciate the time. Is there anything we should check out from you this week on the Washington post? Oh gosh. Are you not, are you asking what stories I'm writing this week? Or, yeah. Or, I'm asking you, is there anything um, this is weird. I'm supposed to did know what I'm writing write this stories? week. Like, did, that was the most genuine. I write stories. If, if that's what I think I just heard. But anyway. Well, it's like I haven't quite figured out what I'm even doing this week. I still need <laughs> to, like, talk to editors and stuff. Um, yeah, I'll probably, I mean, I'm, I'm in this, like, really weird stage of, of doing some Maryland stuff. I, I talked to Anthony Cowan Jr. today. So I'm, like, do, still doing some Maryland basketball stuff, getting ready for the, the NBA draft. Um, and then maybe starting to look into this quarterback stuff or, or maybe saving it. But, but I do think like the spreadsheet, the aforementioned spreadsheet is going to be worth a story one day. Um, and I very much look forward to that day when I do this like huge Maryland quarterback history project. Um, but yeah, I will hopefully write for the Washington post some this week and, and maybe some of the stories will be about Maryland. So that, that's, that's what to expect. <laughs> there you go. That's great. Well, Emily, thank you so <laughs> that was much. Probably the worst plug you've ever gotten no it's fine it's not it's it was good it was fine it was genuine you're you're all yeah, over the okay, place okay. it's okay it's okay emily <laughs> we're, we're all doing our best right now i think we're, we all are yeah yeah it's yeah. okay um and now you'll know next time if you come on this podcast again you'll know the last thing i'll ask you is what to plug so you, you'll already be prepared you'll already be ready to go okay okay there you yeah go. i will i will have a better idea of my schedule i really i really appreciate you all right appreciate it emily thank you so much stay safe Yep. Thanks. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Um, for as little as five dollars a month it helps the show keep the lights on so that would be a great help to me as well uh you can also follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas you could go to chase which has all of my stuff all my episodes ever um links to everything that you need um and all of my writing that uh i'm doing fairly often these days um on the nfl on nba on college football on pro wrestling i write about everything i write a lot um so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. 
But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.